Can you believe it's April already? And uh, Easter's next week. Can you believe I'm back for a second week in a row? Thank you for that. But uh, I did talk to Pastor John yesterday, and um, he is looking forward to Easter week next week. He will be back. So um, what a great morning. Great worship set. Dave Briggs, um, awesome job with sharing and challenging us. Even a pretty good video. So uh, what a good season it is. I'm going to kind of have some fun this morning. Start off by asking a question, and that is, how many of you would describe or consider yourself an animal lover? All right. Animal lover. You're supposed to be like, woo! Like Saturday night. I mean, they were excited about that. I said animal lovers, and literally they're coming out of their chairs. So we got animal lovers. That sets uh, one side of the spectrum. Then how many of you just kind of, maybe not animal lovers, but you've got a pet? All right. How many of you uh, had a pet? We're getting the spectrum. Bear with me. How many of you won't have a pet again? You're over there. Yeah. All right. So we have a spectrum of animal lovers to people that have just had pets. Regardless of where you fall on that scale, I think we can all agree that animals play a large role in our lives, even in our society even in our culture, even in our industry, they're important. And think about it, they're important to God as well. I mean, God spent six days in creation. The fifth and the sixth day, two of six, he spent creating living animals. Creatures of the sea, things that fly, the creepy crawlers, the the beasts of the fields. They're important to God, and we look at these things and look at the amazing amount of variety. The spectrum, I mean, have you ever seen like the Science Channel, Discovery Channel? They show these animals, and there's such an amazing amount of diversity. I went to uh, Sacramento this, uh, this week with my son's fourth grade Sacramento trip to learn about the history of California. It was an awesome trip, we had a good time. But I was amazed even to see how much they reference animals there. Right? What is a state marine mammal? I don't know. What is a state land mammal? What is a state insect, bird, and, and fish? They play an important part of our history, our culture, our everyday life. Right? From dairy products to meats to feathers to hides to all these things. Very important. And God knew they were important. Think about the story of Noah. We all know the story, but have you ever thought about the provision God had for the animals? The detailed instruction that he gathered them up two by two and put them on a boat. These are people that did not know what a boat was at the time. Very important. In the Bible, we got gazelles and buffaloes and goats and donkeys and dogs, peacocks, hyenas, rams, camels, kangaroos, whales. Over 150 animals are mentioned, are named in the Bible. I say all that to paint the picture of how vast creation is how many animals the spectrum is huge the importance god puts on it and i want to say and and to, to show you that there's one animal that god sets apart very specifically for us in fact he relates one animal to us humans not lions not tigers not bears oh my not not foxes not deers that would be all be kind of cool but he says the one thing that you guys are do you know Out of all creation, 
The whole spectrum. He knows these animals well. He created them. He says, the one I'm going to relate you to are sheep. Before I started studying sheep, I did not know much about sheep other than I like lamb chops. That's, that, that was my extent of knowledge. So I thought, if God, out of his whole creation, thought to call us and relate us and compare us to sheep, it might be a good idea to study, learn, and understand a little bit about sheep. So, so I did that. I, I wanted to know, what are sheep's vulnerabilities? What are sheep's tendencies? What are sheep's characteristics? Before I move on, I need to warn you before I flip this page, what I discovered is not very flattering. But I don't want to spoil your opinion. I want to let you decide on your own. So let me talk to you about sheep. Sheep will eat and or drink anything. Okay, get it? But get this, they'll not only eat or drink anything, they'll eat or drink things that make them sick. There's more. They'll eat and drink things that make them sick, and once they're done being sick, guess what they'll do? Go back and eat and drink more. Sheep will not only eat and drink poisonous things, but even the good things that there are for them, they'll eat and drink them to the point where they'll just get sick because they eat so much. They don't know when to stop by themselves. Sheep, sense of direction, they have none. They have no sense of direction. They literally will wander aimlessly. If we had a sheep in this room and it wandered through those doors and, and went down the hallway and around the corner and into the now the 456 room, literally it could just raise its head up and be like, whoa, where am I? How did I get here? I have no idea how to get back where I came from. No sense of direction. They just kind of wander aimlessly. Sheep will starve and not go look for food. They don't plan ahead. They don't migrate. They don't store for the winter. If there's not food within eyesight and they're in a dirt field, they'll literally stay in this dirt field and die and not go pursue food elsewhere. Thinking, wow, this is our, these are interesting animals. Sheep. They can get themselves in such a position, flat on their back, because of the way their joints and proportions are made, where they can't get off their back. They can't maneuver themselves in such a way to get back up on their feet. Literally where they'll be stuck, flat on their back, unable to get themselves up. Sure-footed, they're not. Prone to fall, prone to slip. And when they're around water, it can be very dangerous. If they're on a ledge trying to get water or something and they fall into water, their wool absorbs so much water, it becomes so heavy that it, they will drown. Even on a beachfront approach where they ease in, they can just, again, I guess they're just not conscious, drinking water, they can wade in so far and absorb so much moisture. Even on a beachfront, they can get themselves so deep where they can't get themselves out and drown. Gosh, sheep. Let's talk about their defense. Sheep have no defense. They just got little hoofs, little legs. They, they're, they're no claws. They, they can't really kick. They've got no horns. Their mouth is undersized and set back in their chin, so they can't really bite effectively. And if they do bite, their teeth are extremely dull. They don't even have a 
a defense against flies. No tail to swoosh the flies. No defense. The best thing they can do is to run. But don't get too excited because they don't run very fast. And when they do run, they're clumsy. And on top of that, they have very, very little to no endurance. Sheep. Sheep, if they're in a herd, just like we're all sheep in here, right? We're all, and we get spooked. And let's just say we're going to start running that way. You over there, we're just running. We're just, they'll follow whoever's in front. Just kind of, woo, I don't know where I'm running anymore, but we're running. And they will follow the, the sheep in front right off the edge of a cliff to their death. Out of all the animals, he calls us sheep. Sheep do nothing to cleanse themselves. They do not bathe, they do not roll, they do not scrape, they do not lick, they do not scratch. They literally remain filthy and stand there and accumulate more filth. And it's not until a caregiver or a shepherd comes alongside and cleans them. They have no ability to clean themselves. It's not even like a conscious thought. And on top of that, sheep are stubborn. They're hard-headed, not docile animals. Isn't it interesting that God calls us sheep? He doesn't just call us sheep a few times. 186 times he references me and you as sheep in the Bible, as if 20 wouldn't have been enough. But think about it. We, like sheep, can be our own worst enemy. Sheep are one of the few animals that need a shepherd to truly live. Without a shepherd, sheep are, are likely to die without even being attacked. Interesting animal. So I was thinking about it and studying about it and, and doing this research and, and looking at it, reviewing it, and, and as much as I don't want to admit it, though, we really are a lot like sheep. I mean, think about it. Do we not tend to eat and drink things that make us sick? And after we're done being sick, do we not often return back and eat and drink more? Or do we take in things through our eyes and ears that make us sick, knowing that it's not good for us? And yet when we're done taking them in through our eyes and ears, go back and do it more? Are, are we like not like sheep where we're prone to getting ourselves lost in this world? wandering off, chasing all the glittery, glamoury things that this world has to promise and can find ourselves in a situation, whoa, where am I? How did I get here? And how in the world am I going to get back? We, like sheep, can fall on our backs. Find ourselves in a position saying, oh, uh, I can't get up. I don't know what to do. I have no next move. I'm nothing but stuck. Cannot we like sheep find ourselves in deep water? Feeling weighed down? Heavy? In essence, drowning? Can we not find ourselves chasing that latest craze, the mob of people thinking, this is it, I'm, I'm running after it, even to the point we jump and fall off the cliff? And like sheep, are we a little stubborn? A little hard-headed? Like sheep, can't we become pretty filthy? 
really, with no way to clean ourselves? Think about it. As humbling as it is, we are a lot like sheep. But good news, we are sheep, but we're his sheep. And like real sheep, we too need a shepherd to survive. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. It's critical we understand this before we get into this morning's message. We need to understand who we are. Understand what we are. What are our tendencies and what are our vulnerabilities? We're going to be studying the 23rd Psalms. If you have your Bibles and you could open up. This is a psalm written by David. It's interesting, uh, the perspective of the psalm is written from the perspective of the sheep talking about his shepherd. If you're there, we'll read through it together. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to bless you during this time. Lord, we pray that you would give us clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, you give us ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful things that your law contains. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's some major components that we ought to look at that we need to understand just right here in verse 1. The first thing we need to understand, we already talked about it, we need to understand and accept the fact that we really are sheep. Sheep that need a shepherd. The second thing we need to understand is, is verse 1. Verse 1 is, is all important to this chapter. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Unfortunately, I think verse 1 gets watered down a little bit because we've heard it so many times. It's probably the, the best known Psalms, if not passage of the Old Testament. But when's the last time we really studied it? When's the last time we've looked at this and kind of meditated on it? More than likely, if we ever have, is back in early school grade children's ministry. So today I want us to look at this fresh. What I do in 180, I tell them, I want to look at it without the Novocaine. I want us to fill the passage. I want to look at it in a a new way and really let let the verse impact us so we can fill it. Because it starts right off with the first two words, the Lord. We ought not to miss this. This is a word we throw around a lot, but I'm not truly sure we understand what it means. Back in the time when lords existed, people then, they understood the supreme meaning. They understood the intensity of this title. A lord was a person who had total authority, absolute power and control over others. A lord was a person who had the right to throw you in jail to take your land, to take your home, to take your spouse, even your family. 
They literally could speak law into existence without question, without a vote, and without a veto. A Lord could demand your life. Have you ever noticed the, the phrase Lord and Savior? Personally, I, I, I get the Savior part. I, I really like the Savior part. But I think far too often we forget about the Lord part. Have you ever noticed the order there, Lord and Savior? The Lord is my shepherd. See, there's a progression here, and it's saying we need to make him Lord. That's first and foremost in the Psalms, the expression we need to bend our knee. We need to remove our pl- ourselves from that position and put him there where he belongs. Literally, it's to make him master, to make him chief of your life, ruler of your life. And when you do get this, he becomes our shepherd. That's a good thing. The Lord, once he's Lord, is my shepherd. The Lord, then he becomes our provider. Then he becomes our protector. Then he becomes our guide. It's kind of like an if and then. If Lord, then shepherd. And it leads us to a great statement, I shall not want. If, then, therefore. If, Lord, then shepherd, therefore I shall not want. I have everything I need because he's my shepherd. Verse 1 is key. The Lord, my shepherd, and the lack of my wants are all tied together. These three elements become like a, a paradigm. You have to have one to get the other. It's, it's a cause and effect. So many people want the effect. They want the result of a shepherd. They want the green pastures. Oh, I want the still waters and the restored soul, the comfort, the cup that overflows. I'll, I'll take that. But far too often we miss the Lord part. We can't miss where it starts. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me He leadeth me. It's this he and me relationship. Verse 1 is critical. The rest of the chapter hinges and swings on verse 1. we got to understand those three things and keep them in context because when he is, when he is our Lord and our shepherd and we shall not want, we can go to verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. From what I studied about sheep, they can literally die from exhaustion, which is crazy to me, because they won't lie down and rest. If we were shepherds, I think we would understand there's only a few sheep that you got to watch 24 hours, or a few animals you got to watch 24 hours a day. It's a lot of work to get a sheep to rest. They simply don't just lie down and, and, and take a nap. In fact, they won't rest until certain criteria are met. They, they must be at peace from all fears, including the torment from flies and, and parasites, the peace and harmony within the flock. And two, they must have a full belly. A disturbed and hungry sheep will not lie down. So when sheep are lying down in green pastures, it means their tummies are full and they are at peace. And as the shepherd leads sheep to the fresh grass for feeding, it says the Lord leads his people. It's really quite a beautiful scenario. God's pastures, we can rest assured, are well placed. They're laid in the, the, the hand of God's good grace. And I'm sure we all know that this world has plenty of dry pastures. They don't market it like that, though, do they, huh? Do this, do that, get here. It's going to be so fun. You want to be happy? Come on. And man, we can spend our lives running after this stuff. And get there and be like, this is nothing more than desolate, dry pile of rocks. 
Not here. The one who follows the Lord does not lack spiritual nourishment. He says, I am the milk for the babies. I am the pasture for the sheep. My pastures, he says, they're never eaten bare. The Lord's pastures are never parched. They're always green for faith to feed on. Right? His word never returns void. It's food for the soul. It's, it's the word of God. It's, it's fellowship. It's prayer. It's communion. It's praise. It's even our offering. Acts 2. We're trying to model our church around. Being Acts 2 church. But he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's interesting. He doesn't have us just pass through them. But he lets us lie down in them. Lets us abide in them. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Hmm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. See, sheep are, are frightened by turbulent waters. And on the other end, they can get sick easily from stagnant waters. But it says God leads his people to the quiet waters. Not the standing waters, which is corrupt, not in gathering filth, not the troubled seas, not the rapid roaring floods, but to the silent, purling waters. Still running. They, they flow out of God, but yet do so silently. Verse 2 addresses two of our greatest needs as, as in our physical life, our human life food and water and makes a comparison to our spiritual nourishment too the, he's our food and water go on to verse 3 he says he restores my soul he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake what a great phrase he restores my soul when we're heavy laden when we are burdened when we yes are bruised and battered when we're down and out, he says, oh, he restores your soul. We like restoring old things as people. We, we do it all the time. We take things that are no longer new, no longer in prime condition, subpar state, and we take them and we tear them apart or re rework them, remodel them, and make them new again. Right? We do it with houses. I've done that. That's not very fun. But we do that. We do it with cars, furniture. We like doing that. And he says, God, he does that with us. When we're in a subprime condition, he restores our soul. Remember that sheep on his back that had the wrong type of proportion and joints that couldn't get up? That's what he means here. That's down and out. When, when things aren't going good, you need somebody to come along and restore you. He grabs you. He sets you back up on all four. Gives you a little tap. Go on. You're all right. He restores your soul. David, the author of this, he knew what that was all about. David was down and out. He sinned. He was that little lost sheep. He strayed from the fold, and we see how the shepherd restored him. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. Interesting, it doesn't say he drives us, does it? It doesn't say he herds us or coerces us or constrains us to the path of righteousness. You remember, sheep aren't sure-footed. It says, he guides me. Literally the essence of the shepherd and the sheep. The shepherd wants to encounter the danger first. He guides. Our job here is to follow. He leads. We need to follow. Think about this logically. If there are paths of righteousness, that means there are paths of 
righteousness and that's right that means there are ways that we ought to go and there are ways we ought not to go he says and he guides us in what way the path of righteousness remember sheep have no sense of direction in and of themselves they just wander aimlessly he guides us he's leading our jobs to follow not to wander off Jesus, when talking to some of the religious uh, rulers, um, they were questioning him. They were actually kind of like his enemies, and he answered them and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The work that I do in my Father's name, these testify to me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Sheep will follow their own shepherd, I also found about sheep, they would have like a large pen that shepherds could use. So they would bring multiple flocks together and put them in this pen if the shepherd had to go into town or, or something like that. And there'd be up to three or four flocks in this pen. And all they would do the next morning to separate them, the shepherds would stand at different corners and call out. And this huge herd of sheep would slowly start untangling itself and finding them way, their way to the shepherd. That would be an awesome sight to see. Because the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they do follow it. He leads. And he leads us in those paths that have been marked out by him. They've been checked for safety, for our good, but our eyes have to stay on him. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How dependable are the promises of Psalms 23? as dependable as God himself, for his name's sake. Verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. We hear this a lot, right? This, this even makes a lot of Hollywood movies, this verse. Even though I'm in the peril of death, I'm in the midst of danger, I fear no evil. Jesus tells us, that we as his followers will face hardship. Becoming a Christian does not make everything easy and rosy. We will face persecution, yes, even rejection. He said, they rejected me. What makes you think they're not going to reject you? These are the valleys. There's mountaintops, and those are good times. I, well, we all like the mountaintops. You have enough mountaintops, though, in between you have what? Yeah, they're hard and they're dark. In this verse, though, I want to point out two key words. You might not notice them, but these two words, man, they make all the difference in the world for us. We should be thankful they're in here. If they weren't, it would change a lot. The first word I want to point out is the word through. Such a simple word, but can you imagine if that word was different? Even though I'm trapped, even though I wander pointlessly, even though I, I, I'm wedged? Can you imagine? Thank goodness for the word through. See, valleys will come, but for believers there's hope. We will get through. For us, there is a light at the end of our tunnel. First Peter 1.27, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, and the word of God stands forever. We will get through the valley. 
We can thank God for this word through. Therefore, we can fear no evil because he is with me. It is just a walk through. We will not be lost in this valley. We will safely get to the other side. And if we're fearing evil, we need to go back to verse 1. Is the Lord in the correct position? Is he our shepherd? Do I not want? There's a second word in here we ought to be just as thankful for. It's the word shadow. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Let me ask you a question. Can a shadow of a serpent strike and bite you? Can a shadow of a sword slay you? No. In fact, let's be logical again. In order to have a shadow, you need a source of light. For believers, it's different for us because there's a light at the end of our tunnel. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is exactly why we are not to be of this world. We're not to be of the things of this world. And and he literally paints a picture that we should just hold on to them kind of with open hands. Right? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. We don't do it. Even your 401k and your retirement. I mean, that's hard, but don't put too much into it. A lot of us have learned in the last five, six years it can go. Your dreams and ambitions, your trophies even. Careful. But he goes on and says, but, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's sealed by the blood of God, of Christ. Where moss and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. See, if our, if our heart are set on the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, then the persecutions of this world are nothing more than a shadow. And we know a shadow can't hurt, destroy, harm, or kill us. And we can say, I can fear no evil for my God, for my good shepherd. He is with me. When the beasts of prey come against us in this world like ravenous wolves, you say, yeah, my God is with me. I need not to fear evil. Keep my eyes on him. Follow him in the path of righteousness. He is with me. John, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is, in, that is within you than he that is in the world. See, the nature of evil is, is nothing more than the effort of trying to deceive. It's trying to deny and it's trying to hide the truth. It's darkness, it's shadows. No need to fear evil because we have the light. God is light and in him there is no darkness. It goes on and says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are just simple shepherd's equipment uh, used to protect the sheep in various situations. The rod was more for defense. It was like a stick or a club uh, to beat off enemies or predators. And the, the, the staff was used for direction and, and assistance. Sometimes with sheep, and we know we're sheep, sometimes with us, all it takes is a soft touch. All it takes is a gentle word. But sometimes the shepherd has to use his staff on some of us little old sheep that are bound to stray. And as I get older, it comforts me. I can look back in my own life and realize that indeed the rod is comforting. 
he's used it on me several times. I needed some poking. I needed some prodding here and there. And I thank him for it because it got me back into the fold. And we all need that. The truth is we need a shepherd with a rod and a staff to protect and to guide us. Right? When we're the sheep in, in the deep water feeling heavy, we need him to say, come on, you're all right. Pull, pull, pull me out. I don't know what to do. Help. When we're up on that ledge saying, I, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I don't know how to make the next move, I'm, I'm not sure-footed. All right, come on. See, either way, he is protecting us, and protect us he must. First Peter 5.8, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's a proactive devil. But protect us he does. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is a beautiful imagery. What an amazing shepherd he is. And this is creator God that created all the earth. He is the God that's willing to protect us. This is creator God that is all-powerful. He is willing to defend us and watch over us. Creator God that is all-knowing. He cares about us. In fact, it says that he'll go find us if one of us stray. Parable in Luke 15. He literally says he'll leave the rest of the flock to find us. And this is what blows my mind about that story. When he finds us, and I just think when I used to have a dog, when he'd run away, when I'd find him, this is not how I responded. But when he says when he finds that sheep that ran away, he gets the sheep, puts him on his shoulders, and it says rejoices. And that is, that is fantastic. And it says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. We have a great shepherd. One who doesn't give up on us. One who is willing to go find us. Wandering in this world can be harmful and it can be tiring. Sometimes we wander so far, we need a shepherd that will rejoice and put us on his shoulders because we're in no condition to walk. We're in bad shape. So he uses his, his staff and his rod for our good. Not, not to hurt us, not to harm us, but to protect us. He uses it for teaching, right? To lead us in truth. He uses it for guiding, to walk in his spirit. I came across a pretty incredible story of what shepherds would do if they had uh, a young sheep that was prone to wander or to run away, right? That sheep. We all, we all know those in the group. And unless that, that sheep was literally forced to lie down, and what they would do, they would actually take the young lamb and they would break its leg. But he knew unless it was literally kind of taken out of commission, it would never stop wandering off. And if it kept wandering off, eventually it was going to get killed by predators. But get this, while the lamb was healing, the, the shepherd would bind it all back up, get it set, as they were traveling from pasture to pasture, he would carry this little guy. Just nuzzle him in. They'd sit down, and when they would sleep, he would sleep with the shepherd. The shepherd would feed him. And during this healing process, this lamb would, would form this deep, lasting bond with the shepherd. And as it says that once this lamb was, was fully recovered, the lamb would never wander off again. I want to read you two verses, Job 5, 17 and 18. These are awesome verses. How blessed is the man whom God corrects, 
Let me say that again. How blessed is the man whom God corrects. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hand also heals. Breaking a sheep's leg, yes, does seem a bit harsh, but the shepherd knows that it's better for that sheep to to suffer a temporary pain than to wander off into wilderness, to get eaten by some hungry wolf. And when he corrects us, he will not leave us broken. He'll bind us. He will heal us. He does it for our good. And once we are healed, he knows we will cling to his side. How invaluable is a man whom God corrects. What a great model for us to look at. This passage is, of course, uh, talking about the good shepherd, God. But I do think it would be wise of us to also look at this as a template or, or to make this our standard of how are we shepherding those that God's put into our flock, our care. In those situations, are we providing an example to them of how we ought to be living for Christ and standing up against the world? Are we leading those that he's put in our care to green pastures and and to quiet waters? Sometimes I think about schooling. Our kids are getting older. We're in high school next year. They're not here today or in here. Our daughter is. She's almost 14. So we're having the high school talks. Well, where are you going to go? What do you need to do? What classes do you take? What extracurricular activities to go to the college you want so the application looks right? I mean, right? It's like this huge planning technique, and, and, and all parents are into it. And the, the detail we put into making sure our kids are successful in school. We, we shape our whole lives around this, make sure they get on to bed on time, they've got their lunch, I mean, right, everything to take pre-SATs, all this stuff, which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. We, we do the same thing. We don't let much slide when it comes to school. And I sit there and I just wonder about these things. I, I was in Sacramento trip and I was hearing some of the ladies talk and they were literally, they're talking about websites that they're on because they're eighth grade, right? All this is happening. And the great detail, like a calendar planning out of what their kids have to do when and where and what to make sure that this all happens. And I was just saying, thinking, can you imagine if we put the same emphasis on their spiritual health? <laughs> Can you imagine? We don't put up with anything. There's a problem. We fix it when it comes to school. Good, that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But can you imagine? Then I'm thinking of sports. And we, again, we do sports. I'm moving down here because I want to be on your level saying this. I am talking with you. This is me being, this is me being, I'm just questioning myself saying, wow. Sports, we do sports. We literally are how it works is we end one season and we start it the same weekend. It just, it's year round. We do them all the time. Love them. I remember when my daughter, was, she was like 10 or 11, playing soccer. Mike Descalzo probably knows this. He was a coach at the time. And they offered an agility camp, like a two-day agility camp. They're 10 or 11. I had to go home and look up agility to make sure what kind of camp she was going to go to. And then there was a speed camp and then an endurance camp. And we do all these things. We practice five nights a week, and heaven forbid we miss And I'm telling you, we do the same thing. Then we have tournaments with three games on the weekend and we bring our little tents up in our our coolers and we're team moms and we do all this stuff perfectly and schedule our whole lives around it. And I just wonder, what would it be like if we had that kind of focus on our kids' spiritual nourishment? 
our spiritual health. We use this as an example of how we ought to be shepherding. And I do want to apologize. I don't want to be the youth guy coming in here talking about parenting. But I prayed through this just two days ago. Thinking, Should I even bring this up? And, and I think it's very appropriate. Because he puts them in our care. Do we really understand that the shepherd's rod and staff bring comfort? I'm learning more about parenting every day. And I see that it, it can become easy just to want to appease our kids. I'm starting to understand what, when I used to hear people say, it just feels like they don't listen to me. I'm getting some perspective. All they want to do is argue. On the Sacramento trip, I heard, uh, this is a really insightful trip for me. I heard uh, some moms talking and a comment, and I, I, I took note of it. And she said, uh, boys don't even have the brain capacity to think right until they're 23 years old. <laughs> I totally get what she was saying. We need to be careful, though, because we're still called to guide them, to lead them. It's so easy. It's, it's easy to come up with these sayings, oh, kids will be kids. All they do is text, and we kind of can push them off, right? Let them go astray. And unfortunately, not go after him. But reviewing this, I'm sitting there thinking, that, that's not right. We need to cling to God's standards. We need to look at his principles. That's the bar. It's easy to sit there and say, oh, it's, this is the music of this generation and the clothes and the bathing suits. It's, it's normal for them to play video games 18 hours a day. It's just what they do. It's not normal. A lot of times we're not just overlooking it, but we're the ones bringing it into the home. We're buying it. We're even introducing it. I'll get off this rant. But it is dear to my heart. There's a ton of issues I'd like to talk about with this type of stuff. Just, we just need to understand we are in this shepherding position also. This might be a great template to model after. Even issues of dating, not to keep going on. We need to understand, though, when we get our... That's my mom. She's here from out of town. She's laughing. <laughs> when, our, when our kids enter into this type of stuff, this is important stuff. We are opening up a box that has huge consequences for the good and the bad. Don't get me wrong. It's more than just cute when they're 10 years old and all this stuff. We need to understand how we are made by God to enter into relationships, to leave and cleave, not keep going in and out of relationships since fourth grade. If you're here saying, man, I agree with you, Rob, but unfortunately for me, it's too late. I'll tell you, let's remember who our shepherd is. We, we, we have a great shepherd who is in the business of restoring souls. We have the shepherd that it says, in me there's no condemnation. We have a shepherd that not only died on the cross, but rose. And from that cross, the grace and the mercy, it flows. What a responsibility. I'm going over. We need to finish up. Verses 5 and 6. You prepareth a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. In this verse, these verses, we have a scene change. We have left now the pastures and we've entered into the banquet hall of the gracious host providing for us lavish hospitality. Can't wait. We see the Lord's provision. For me, it's comforting that he does it in the presence of our enemies. Despite the impending danger, the Lord spreads out a table for us. He says, your shepherd, he'll provide. And I don't got enough time, but just quickly, the table, it's not a, it's not a coffee table. This isn't a picnic blanket. This is a permanent table. The word provides written in the uh, continuous present. He is continually providing this table, permanent table, for us. He says, you've anointed my head with oil. We talked about it last week, this refreshing, this soothing act. It kind of harmonizes with uh, the concept of a gracious host welcoming somebody into their home. Something very kind to do. He, He provides for us at the table and he comforts us. And it says, my cup, it overflows, symbolic of joy. As Christians, our lives should be spilling over with joy. The Lord says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Lord wants our lives to be full of joy. And I know that sometimes it's like, yeah, that's need to my cup overflows, but my cup, it seems awfully small. It doesn't seem to, to hold that much. And I think what David's saying here, that's, that's fine, but I want to tell you something. Regardless of the size of your cup, it can overflow a whole lot. Oh, how this world needs Christians that are overflowing. Christians that lie, and when they come in contact with somebody, oh, I got wet. The places we go, the people we see, we affect Yesterday, preparing for Saturday night service in the shower, I was just thinking of this, and I was thinking, it's like warning wet floor all around our church. We're overflowing with joy. And surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. The good side of a shadow. I remember being a kid, for some reason, walking out of the grocery store, Alpha Beta, and just realizing my shadow and trying to outmove it. <laughs> That's just what I think of. It will follow me all the days of my life. I just did, here it is. His loving kindness, his goodness, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's blessing on his people will remain, no matter our circumstances. The fact is, we're not pretty, oh shoot, I did it again, pedigree, I did a good Saturday, pedigree sheep. The fact is, we're not pedigree sheep. The fact is, we're not worth all too much anyways. But the fact is, we have a wonderful shepherd. A shepherd who, who, who treasures us, who loves us, who protects us, a shepherd who guides us, a shepherd who prepares a place for you and I. This, this passage, oh, don't forget, it's an if and then. It's a cause and effect chapter. The then or the effect, it's more amazing than what we deserve, any one of us. But we need to end with a question. You don't have to answer it. This is just for you. It's, it's, it's an if and then statement. So, so I want to ask you this question. Can you say at this moment that the Lord is your shepherd? 
Because if you can, if you can say the Lord is my shepherd, then all these wonderful promises in the Psalms are yours. If he is the shepherd who gave his life for the sheep and he is your savior, this psalm is for you. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, how amazing you are. You are the giver of life. Lord, you are our comfort, our healer, our redeemer. You are the restorer, and for that we are grateful. Lord, we understand that we're like sheep and that we don't have a great percentage of survival on our own. Lord, we need you. Therefore, we're thankful what you've done on the cross, the blood that you shed for us. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you put it on our hearts this week like the video we saw, that we would identify, think of somebody that we can just simply invite. We're thankful that as your sons, we get to celebrate Easter every single day of the year. Watch over us this week. Keep us safe. Lord, it's in your son's name we all pray. We all say? Amen. Have a wonderful week. Happy Easter.